tones of noted slacker Steve Malcolmson is jicks means it's time for another Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. The attentive listener will note that this Fantasy Friday edition of the podcast does appear on a Thursday. The attentive listener will also note that my guest is Rotographs contributor Zach Sanders. In what follows, Zach Sanders and I begin with what has become a staple of the Fantasy Friday podcast, and that is a Hector Santiago update. Things, it turns out, are not looking up for Mr. Santiago at the moment. From there, we move on to a conversation that begins with a question, courtesy Sanders. The question being, what the f*** Jamile Weeks? Sanders comments on the A's second baseman's early struggles while I pronounce said second baseman's first name incorrectly. Moving on, we look at the Seattle Mariners' trio of pitching prospects, and Sanders projects the arrival times for each of them. We look at some injuries to starters and who their replacements might be, notably third base in Boston, third base in San Francisco as well, and also both first base and shortstop in Milwaukee. Finally, I draw Sanders' attention to the standings of the Fangraphs Staff Auto New League, in which league I am currently occupying the top spot, while Sanders dwells in the basement. It's a fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. It features Rotographs contributor Zach Sanders, and it begins right now. How many teams do you work with now? Oh, boy. Um, I think this year I'm down to seven or eight. And, what, and so that's down from what? Oh, I've had up to 16 in the past. Yeah. Is that too many for you? I found that it was. It, I mean, you can keep up with them all if you really want to, but uh, at a certain point during the season you're going to give up on a bunch of them anyway. And it really came down to it was just fun to do the draft. And so, well, now you just do mock drafts and it gets you the same kind of high. That's yeah. That's actually a good point. I did find um, last year was my sort of first year where I was you know integrated enough into the baseball community you know through Fangraphs um, and, and I was also doing some stuff for RotoWire and where I you know I it was like the first time I got a bunch of invites um, to be in leagues and I accepted all you know all of them. So I was in like seven or eight leagues, which for you sounds like nothing. For me, it was it was very difficult. I had to consciously pare down. This year, I had to leave a lot of leagues. In um, probably a number of cases, it was kind of a dick move, um, you know. But I just couldn't do it. I just wasn't I wasn't participating in those leagues, and that's probably the dickest move of all, right? Because it's like, if you're in a league, you want to feel like other people are competing, and if they're just there and lame, then it, maybe it takes some of the the glory out of any victories you might have. Well, yeah, I'd say it was. I mean. I play in leagues where I've won, and because there's only been you know three out of the twelve hunters are actually active, and you really don't care. Because at a certain point, you get a lead, and you know you're going to finish in the top two or three, and then you really stop caring. It comes out to be a snowball effect. Right. Yeah. Precisely. But then I don't know. I mean, like I don't know if this was tough for you when you had 16 teams. Were you were you proposing trades? You know, if if there was like a league where you were last place, were you proposing and accepting trades at that point? Uh, I wouldn't do much proposing, but I would always look at things that came through my inbox. I was just uh, more of the, well, I didn't care anymore, but someone else was interested, and it seemed like it was it was relatively fair that I'd still, still try to help them out. Right. All right well, listen, uh, Zach Sanders of Rotographs, 
before we go too far, um, it has become a fixture on the Fantasy Friday edition of the podcast. And, of course, um, this is actually a Fantasy Friday um, Fantasy Friday on Thursday edition of the podcast. It'll, this will be available Thursday to the public. Um, but it has become a recurring, a recurring segment on the Fantasy Friday edition of the podcast uh, to do a Hector Santiago update. And I am remiss, uh, or I was remiss last week, um, because uh, we had the interview with Paul Swine and said that we did not have a Fantasy Friday edition of the podcast. And there was a lot of Hector Santiago relevant news. Um, so it was avoided. So, in fact, what I need you to do is two weeks' worth of Hector Santiago updates. Well, what I can say is that Hector Santiago is really not going to be closing games for the White Sox anymore after after screwing up his fair share. And really, to be fair, he probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. They put him in a bad spot, and it, it's not fair to him, and it really isn't fair to the team. But he's going to move into more of a, I would guess, traditional setup role, maybe even middle relief where he can where he can use his repertoire more effectively and he's not trying to really finish off games because that's, that's not his forte. That's not who he is. He's more of a uh, he's more of a gimmick pitcher. He's going to throw that screwball, but he does have a decent fastball, and so not all about it. But really it's going to come down to whether that screwball is being effective. You, you know, it's, it's sort of a strange thing. Uh, Robin Ventura, of course, is a rookie manager and not simply a rookie um, in the major leagues, but he's, this is his first time managing any team of consequence. Uh, and he elected to install Hector Santiago, who was a relative unknown coming into the season, uh, elected to install Hector Santiago into the closer role, uh, bypassing uh, Matt Thornton, of course, who um, has had a lot of success in late-inning relief, not necessarily as a closer, but who had um, occupied that role before. And then, of course, Addison Reed, who I think many many people, uh, analysts, and uh, fantasy baseball analysts thought was going to be the the closer for that uh, for that team entering the season. I'm curious, uh, and, and um, I I'm asking you to sort of psychologize a little bit, and perhaps that's unfair. What was Robin Ventura thinking? Do you suppose, and what do you think um, has he learned from that? I mean, it's important at some level to anticipate to have some idea of how a a manager thinks. What do we know about Robin Ventura now, a month plus into the season? Well, I think is that he, you know, he hadn't been around the player long enough, and so he, what he saw of this, these players, he really saw in spring training, and so he's look, you know, he can look at all the old numbers he wants, but if he hasn't been paying attention, hasn't seen him enough, he's going to go off what he sees in that in that one month, and when you got a guy throwing, you know, ninety four with a screwball. Odds are he's going to look pretty good to the to the eye in spring training, and so if you feel comfortable that you know you think you can do it and you have your other backup options, I mean I can see why he tried. It just it just seems strange to throw him into that role instead of letting him really get his feet wet in the major leagues first. Instead of just popping this guy up through the minors and saying, "Hey, close games for us now. Why don't you? It'd be fun. It, it's not good. You need to you know at least get him used to the major leagues for the most part first. Okay, and so now what happens is. I believe Chris Sale has been installed as the team closer. Of course, he was an excellent. Well, not only was he an excellent late uh, inning reliever um, for the last season plus, he he also looked like a really good starter to begin the season. Um, you talk about why he's not starting anymore and what we can expect from him, and and expect from him in terms of his role as the season goes on. 
Well, he's not starting right now because they're worried about his elbow. He's been having a little bit of soreness, so they figure it's best to, uh, to move him back to the bullpen where he can sort of take it easy for a little bit, if not the rest of the season. Um, he was a very good starter, but if you watch him pitch, his mechanics aren't one of a traditional 200-inning starter. And so the, he throws hard and get a you know, little bit of a mechanic problem. And so it's not necessarily going to lend itself to being a full-time starter, no matter how good you are. So their options right now, I think the way they're seeing it is that we could have him start, you know, 10, 15 years a year and get hurt, or we can have him all year long in the bullpen. And I have a feeling they might start to stretch him out again towards the end of the year, if he's still feeling well, or do a little bit more in the offseason to really promote the fact that he's going to have to build up durability and arm strength to stick in the rotation. Otherwise, at the very least, you have yourself a really, really good close. Right, and what sort of numbers can we expect from him uh, beyond the save totals? On the save totals? I mean, beyond the save totals. Oh, well, you're going to get a good DRA and a good strikeout rate, and, you know, the walk rate's not perfect, but it's pretty good, too. Anything, really, you can ask for. He, you know, he throws hard. He has nasty stuff, so the Babbitt will probably be lower. He'll have a lower whip. He's going to be, if he's a full-time closer, he's going to be relatively elite. He'll be top five, top six. Every year, no problem. Okay, and actually, uh, the last week plus has seen a lot of uh, fluctuation, um, a lot of turnover in the closing ranks, among the closing ranks. Um, uh, probably most notably uh, because it it's, sort of comes on the heels of of him signing a three-year deal is the, the demotion of Heath Bell, I guess, to a setup role. And the promotion of Steve Sishek, Sishek, Chizik, Chizik, Chizik. Go with that one. You go, you go with that one. What is Steve C? Um, yeah, to to the closing role there in in Miami. Um, now I'm not sure. I, I, well, I would say that probably a lot of analysts, um, saber-minded analysts, thought that the, the signing of Heath Bell to a, th- a three-year. At, I think it was like something like $27 million deal was not the wisest one. It probably was not the um, the greatest overspend this past offseason in terms of um, closers, relief pitchers. But it, it was an overspend probably. Do you foresee uh, Do you foresee Heath Bell getting the closer rollback? I do think at some point they give him another shot. If he can put together a few games in a row where he where he looks like he knows what he's you know back doing and he's going to do what he did in San Diego, I think they throw him back in there and give him another shot. But I don't know if long term this is what's going to happen. Uh, if he can't get it back this year, is it gone for next year? Or is he going to come in with a chance to win it because they're paying him so much money, or do they actually you know smart up and realize that well we just have to utilize him the best that we can? You know, we do, we know we're going to be eating the contract, but. It really depends on how well he pitches outside the closer's role. I, you know, I have a feeling that the closer's role part doesn't have much to do with it. If you're not pitching well, you're not pitching well, and so it, he's going to have problems. Um, and a couple other closer situations of note uh, now we have, um, and I'm, I'm just curious, maybe if you could give us, uh, you know, just some brief sentences, um, brief reviews of these guys. Uh, three names. Uh, three names we have in Chicago: Rafael Dolis. We have uh, uh, after the aforementioned uh, Steve Sijek in Miami, and then also um, occupying the closer role while Houston Street is out is Andrew Kashner. 
Um, oh, and I'll throw a fourth in there, too, uh, because Sergio Santos is out, Francisco Cordero. Those, so those are four names. Can you give us uh, just some brief thoughts on those four guys? Well, first, Francisco Cordero is no longer closing. Well, the, 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 oh, so, so, oh it's, this is, is this breaking? I mean, he didn't he just try and close last night? He uh, did last night, I believe, but they have now named Casey Jansen the uh, new closer while they wait for Sergio Santos. Okay, and was that predictable? Because it seems like it would be predictable because Cordero basically wasn't really a closer last year. His, uh, I mean, his run prevention looked okay, you know, cosmetically, but if you looked at the numbers underneath, I mean, you know, he's not striking guys out anymore. At least he wasn't through last year. I haven't, I don't know this year. Right, and his, his velocity was down, and you know, he is on the older side, and so it's it's not a big surprise. I thought he might be a little pulled down the role for you know the month that that uh, Santos is going to be out. But it's, right now, Jansen's actually a, a pretty worthy replacement. I, I, I like a lot what I've seen from him in the past. Um, he, he's got a pretty good strikeout rate before. Uh, not all of it's been... He's pretty good control, and that's where he's going to leave, leave his mark. His velocity, you know, it's around 90. He, he can touch 92, 93. His off-speed stuff's not great. He's going to work with a cutter. Um, but he's solid... He's really not closer solid and closer material, but if you're looking for a guy that can hold down a role for a couple of weeks, he's a pretty good option. You don't think that he necessarily has the same floor as Francisco Cordero does or did? Right. I think at the very least, Jansen's still going to be able to throw strikes and keep in games. Uh, he, you know, he's not going to dominate players like Cordero used to and like Santos can at times, but he does have that that higher floor which is just so important, especially when you're looking for a fill-in instead of a full guy. Okay, and then uh, we saw recently uh, we saw recently Carlos Mold, uh, Marmold demoted uh, to more of a setup role, and then I guess Rafael Dolis is taking his place? That's... He was going to have a feeling they're going to end up going with Kerry Wood if they feel like he's healthy, but Dolis is an interesting case because he's got really nice stuff. You know, he's Averaging 95 on his fastball, but his numbers in the minors really aren't anything special. You look at it, and he really hasn't been overly young for any one of his levels, and he is a pitcher, so you expect him to be ready a little sooner. And for someone that's throwing 95, the strikeout rate just isn't there, and it's kind of strange to look at. He's got the classic stuff, but he's not getting the results. And so I have a feeling that he might get knocked around a little bit, and really, if he gets knocked around a little bit, they're going to have to look for someone else even if they think he could be the long-term answer because they don't want to exactly kill his confidence in the process. So you'd say that he has some upside uh, just because of combination of velocity, movement, etc. cetera. Uh, however, perhaps um, he's not very stable in the closer role at the moment. Yeah, I'd say he's really going to have to prove himself. And he's, I mean, really beyond his minor league numbers. It's, that's the problem. His minor league numbers really aren't great. It's just the... His stuff is so much better than you'd see, and so when you watch him pitch, you think, yeah, that's a closer, but then you see what he's done in the past, and you, you get scared off a little bit. Okay, and then Sizek, 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 I'm going to call him Scissors. How about that? Scissors, yeah, whatever you need to do. So Scissors, I like him. He uh, he, he gets ground balls. He strikes people out. He kind of does everything you want, and he's, he's really been under the radar for the most part. I think this could be a, a big chance for him to step in and show that he is a he is a big time reliever, and so I actually think he'll do pretty well. And I, I'm a little bit overconfident in him actually, but I, I'd probably pick him up. Okay, and like for example, in our auto new league, how much would you pay for him? 
uh, I'd probably give up uh, three bucks for him. Okay, yeah, and I should say this is a uh, this is a linear weights um, this is a linear weights auto new league. So yeah, um, but yeah, three dollars it sounds. Uh, yeah, that's a, you know especially on a waiver wire, it's a reasonable price for a decent closer. Okay, uh, now of course. Uh, Sanders, before we recorded here, I, you know, I asked you, um, is there anything that you care to talk about? And uh, number one on your agenda, the agenda you sent me was, uh, what the f***, Jameel Weeks? Exactly. I assume the you mean because he has not put up great numbers. That's what you meant. Right, and part of it is not putting up great numbers and really just not being able to tell why. And he doesn't know why, which is interesting. I mean, if you look at his numbers, everything really looks peachy. I mean, he's... He's swinging less outside the zone. He's swinging more inside the zone. He's making contact a little more. He's, you know, he's not making contact more, but he's not missing pitches more often. His ISO is the same as last year. And so really, and even he said so in interviews, that sometimes the ball just doesn't go to a good place. There's nothing you can do about it. And so I think there's probably a lot of people that are ready to sell off on him. And I mean, really, if you look at it, he's going to be a great guy. If he gets sold off by another owner, you really just go grab him. Just enjoy the rest of the year. If he ends up hitting, you know, 280 with big time speed, there's not much better you can get with that on the waiver wire. Right. Well, if you look at his, yeah, right, his plate discipline stats. Um, I mean, strikeout walk ratio. He's looking excellent there, you know, or decent. Uh, he's he's stolen a couple, seven to two maybe, seven stolen bases, two caught stealing, something like that. Um, but right. his BABIP is very low, I think, maybe even below 200 or at least low 200s. And is this a situation, you're pretty confident in this situation, this is just clustering, you know, randomness, as opposed to any sort of comment on, on his ability to make contact with any sort of strength? I would imagine so. I mean, he showed last year that he can, he can put good contact in the ball, and so that shouldn't be an issue. You know, he's not he's not like Sean Figgins where he's up there in age, and so you worry about that ability to put good wood on the ball. And he showed it last year. Even he's saying that, you know, he just doesn't know what's going on. He feels like he's hitting the ball well. And for a certain point, I'm going to trust what he says because you look at the numbers and they kind of, if the numbers back up what the player is telling you, for the most part, you're going to believe him. Now, you, you mentioned uh, Sean Figgins there. Of course, he plays for your hometown Seattle Mariners, Zach Sanders. Um, another couple of pitchers do not play currently for the major league version of your Seattle Mariners, but they are in the minor leagues, and they might be of some interest to fantasy owners, um, par- uh, certainly partly because of their skills and also because of the uh, the park in which they'd be playing, Sitco. Um, well, there are really three names. Uh, Danny Holson, of course, uh, who was uh, one of the top, uh, um, top draft picks in the 2011 draft. Um, also, James Paxton and uh, Ty... Taiwan, Taiwan Walker. Which do you say? I, I pronounce it Taiwan. Okay, that's very well be Taiwan. Okay, well, in either case, um, with the Mariners, not. I mean, this almost sounds like a euphemism. They're not playing particularly well, um, and constantly at risk to be perfect gamed on all over by a pitcher who then gives up, uh, you know, twenty runs in his next twelve innings. Yep. Um, you know. They sort of profile as a team, the Mariners do, who might be willing at some point to give innings to some of their prospects. Um, not not necessarily, I mean, hopefully avoiding their, you know, starting their ARB clocks prematurely, but at the same time, uh, you know, giving major league exposure to to pitchers who hopefully, uh, you know, w- will um, figure prominently in their future plans. And I'm curious... Um, if and when we might see any of those guys and what we could expect? 
Well, I think we'll see Holston and, and most likely Paxton this year. Walker's a couple years off. You know, he was a guy that they drafted who really only played baseball for, I think, a year, maybe 18 months. I mean, he played longer, but really focused on it that much. And so they're really taking him along slowly. He's got really electric stuff, but he's going to take some work. If you look at Holtzman and Paxton, I think Holtzman makes it up first because he's got a little more major league polish. Paxton's still got control problems, and Holtzman really doesn't, except Holtzman's lock numbers in the Myers aren't really what we expected. Uh, he's, we, everyone kind of thought when they came out of the college that, yeah, he's going to be uh, not an exactly high strikeout, but he, he's going to keep the walks really low, and he'll be able to maintain a career that way. But his strikeouts in the minors are pretty impressive. Uh, they're not exactly what we thought at all. They're, they're much higher. And so as long as he can keep striking people out while going back to his ways of pounding the bottom of the strike zone and not and not walking people, he's going to be really, really good. Uh, I think he probably comes up, I'm looking late June right now, uh, the Mariners' rotation, it doesn't exactly have an opening at the moment, it, it, but it has places where an opening could easily come up, especially if like Bevin comes down to earth. Hector Nosey continues to struggle. And these are all going to be spots. If Kevin Millwood doesn't do well, then you have three spots open. And right now you have Holston, and Holston you have Paxton, and you also have Rasmo Ramirez, who started the year in the majors in the bullpen. And I don't think Paxton comes up as soon as Holston, because he has more problems with walks than Holston does, but he's got big-time strikeout numbers. He, he, he's going to throw a low mid-90s fastball with a huge breaking ball that is just unhittable for the most part. And as long as he's repeating his delivery well, He's a dominant pitcher. If you look at his uh, his numbers this year, if you actually look game by game, you'll notice that the walks, most games are, are okay. You can really live with it, you know, six strikeouts, two walks, things like that. But it's when he has problems repeating his delivery, and he'll, he'll walk seven, eight guys a game. And that's really going to limit his potential to come up sooner. And so I don't think he's probably up until the trade deadline, maybe a little bit after. But once again, it really depends on how the guys, the majors are doing, and how much they really want to push the young guys. So if you were to put... Uh you know, if you were to sort of rank them by, I guess, overall future potential um, through the fantasy lens, where would you put them? One, two, three. Are we considering the present value here, or looking just long term overall? Who's well, you define that? your terms because really, I don't care. <laughs> Lovely. Um, yeah, I always look at it with the lens of you know, being a little bit of a nerd. We look at present value. You know, if you do well now, it's better than doing well later. But then again, it depends on your team composition. If you're not, if you're in a dynasty or something, you're not looking to compete for two years. Well, then you don't care. But if we look at sort of the present value model, then I would definitely say that Holton's going to be pretty much almost as good as Paxton anyway, if not the same. And so he's going to be up sooner. I put him first. I put but Paxton second because at the very least he's going to be a big time power pitcher who can strike people out even in the majors. And then I put Taewon Walker last because he's farther away and things can always happen in development. Injuries happen. But I think he's going to be very good as well. Okay, uh, uh, a topic I want to discuss too, and part of it um, concerns this idea of uh, interesting prospects and uh, what they're up to at this point, what their roles are for the future, or the, I guess you know the, the immediate future and the, the, the less immediate future, uh, and the sort of interactions of those with, with injuries. One of one of a, a, a big one of the three that I want to talk about. Uh, is unfolding currently in Boston, uh, where Will Middlebrooks uh, has made an impression early on. Uh, Middlebrooks is is a is a prospect who was not particularly celebrated a couple years ago. Um, had a big year in the minors last year and seems to have uh, 
preserved uh, those gains and uh, was hitting well in the minors this year before being called up and hitting, I think, like three home runs in the course of two days, something like that. What, uh, Middlebrooks is only there, I think, because Euclid is out. So um, when's Euclid expected back, and what happens to Middlebrooks then? I'm not sure exactly when Euclid is expected to be back, but I can tell you that odds are they're just going to send Middlebrooks down. Bobby Valentine has said that he doesn't he doesn't plan on playing uh, Middlebrooks in the outfield, and so unless Middlebrooks really really continues to tear it up uh, before Euclid comes back. And I don't think he hangs on to the job. I think they kind of give him a pat on the back, say, good job, but we don't have room for you this year. Get ready for next year. Then again, they could realize that he's the future and that he's not going to be much worse than Eucalyst, and so they might as well keep playing him. And at that point, you could see him in the, league, in the major leagues all year. I'm just not sure, depending on how Eucalyst comes back from injury. Right. Well, so if you if you do keep playing Middlebrooks, what do you do with Euclid? Or I guess the question is, what do you do with Middlebrooks? Does he become, uh, you know, contrary to what Valentine says, does he become an outfielder? If you know, I mean, what so what percentage of possibility is there of that happening? Do you think? I think it's pretty low because when Euclid comes back, uh, then we also have Kyle Crawford to think about, and they're going to have to have room for him. But if they do decide to keep Middlebrooks up, then I do believe that Euclid probably swing into a bench role and then kind of rotate him through uh, first base, maybe play DH once in a while on his lefties. But as we can tell with Euclid, his better days are, you know, best days are behind him, so he's he's not great anymore. He, he's still okay, but he's nothing he's nothing special. So they could decide that Middlebrook gives him a little bit more excitement and they may go that route. But I don't think they play Middlebrook in the outfield, and I don't think they keep him on the bench either. I think if they're going to send him back to the minors. At least keep him playing. Okay. That, now that's the Red Sox third base situation. Moving across the country um, to San Francisco, we have the Giants third base uh, situation. Of course, Pablo Sandoval um, recently went on the DL with a broken hamate, uh, which prompted, um, I mean, immediately after that, or corresponding move, I think, uh, the call up of a favorite of mine, Connor Gillespie. Who I, and he's a favorite of mine, not necessarily because I think he's going to be, um, and you know, an MVP candidate or whatever, but I, because I think that he has skills that have maybe been overlooked, and you know, he's been blocked probably by Sandoval, and you know, it's just, I mean, rightly so. Sandoval's very good. Uh, going forward, though, is you know, do you think Gillespie is he an everyday player? Because you know, for example, I picked him up in the, uh, the Auto League, in which both you and I participate. I've put him in at third base. He's played every day, mostly. Can I expect him to play every day from now on, though, until Sandoval comes back? I would expect that he will, mainly because the alternatives are pretty bad. Uh, right now, Joaquin Arias is his main competition, and you know he's bounced around a couple different major league teams already, and they've kind of all realized that he's nothing special. He's just a guy that can play a couple different positions. I think Gillespie, if, if he actually was given the full season, could, could actually be okay. I think he's He's sort of ready to go, and he, he's not going to be a stud, but he's going to put up a decent batting average. He walks a good amount, so the OEP will be fine. The power numbers aren't going to be there, and part of that is the ballpark he plays in. But as an everyday third baseman, you can do much worse. Well, yeah, certainly it does seem as though these last two years, I don't know if last year was worse than this year so far, um, there has been a real dearth of production at third base. Yeah, it's it's been kind of ugly. Last year, actually, I was one of the people bucking the traditional wisdom. The traditional wisdom is that they're basically going to be bad, and I looked at it and 
I didn't see most of those players doing as bad as they were going to do. So you know, it killed me and you know, some of the advice I would give out a little more than often that I'd like. But but it really is starting to take a downhill turn as you see teams start to go towards the you know, start of the fielding side. They take a little bit more of that into account. But also just the quality third baseman, they aren't there anymore. Teams are starting to rotate guys through instead of having the one full-time guy. Now, um, we mentioned Gillespie, another player – uh, another favorite of mine, and actually has a similar sort of batting profile to Connor Gillespie, is, is uh, Taylor Green, uh, uh, Taylor Green of Milwaukee, who has been a third baseman through the minors, but uh, has recently been been promoted to the majors to play first base for Milwaukee because Matt Gamble is out for the season, or um, very likely this season, 95% chance, uh, with a torn ACL. Uh, Taylor Green, I think, maybe has gotten a start. In Gamble's absence, Travis uh, Ishikawa has gotten uh, more than one start, and uh, I believe also Brooks Conrad, um, who is probably who's most famous for hitting, um, you know, walk-off home runs and committing errors at second base for the Atlanta Braves. Y- you know, three players. Conrad's interesting because uh, in a lot of fantasy leagues he qualifies at second and third base. So if he, if he were going to get playing time at first. Uh, you know, at least to get his bat in there. Uh, uh, Green is also uh, Green also qualifies at third base, so that could be um, that could go some way, like we were saying, to addressing you know maybe that dearth of production at third base. But the question is, are any of them going to have a full time role? I think they're going to give Green probably first crack at it, and I actually think there's another name to throw in the mix, which is moving Corey Hart to first base and playing the the Japanese import Norichi Aoki. However you pronounce it. Aoki. Aoki. Yeah, Nori Aoki. That's actually that's actually an easy one, even for the the um, for a totally anglicized person to pronounce. It's Nori Aoki. That's that's all you have to do. So you're saying I'm stupid because I couldn't pronounce it? No, no, no. I'm just saying no, no. I have the benefit of living in the uh, in the market, so I get to hear it pronounced with some frequency. Well, fair enough. And you and, and you're not that and you're not that sharp. That's the second point. Yeah, you're right. Okay. That's the second well, point. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with it. Okay. <laughs> but as long as they continue to get production out of Green or out of Ishikawa, then I think they'll stick with him and keep Hart in the outfield and move and keep Aoki kind of in the fourth outfielder role. But I think there's a chance that if Green struggles, they end up moving Hart over to first to keep you know to keep him healthier, and then just play Aoki and see what they have in him. Aoki's not bad. He he can put up a decent average, a decent OBP. From what it sounds like, he's going to be a pretty solid corner outfielder. He may not have the arm for a right fielder, but he could be okay. And so they have a lot of options, and, but I do think Green is going to get first crack because he's a little more well-known of them. Chicago's had his chance. Conrad sort of had his chance, and they've gone. So I think they want to see what they have in him before they move to other options. What do you think about something like a uh, – because Green is exclusively left-handed, like a Green-Conrad platoon because uh, Conrad is a switch hitter, I believe. So uh, I get, you know they could have – they could have those guys platooning. I'm not sure. I mean, because he's a switch hitter, I'm not sure what Conrad's splits are like. You know, he may be kind of like equally mediocre from both sides of the plate. You know, is that a possibility? I think that's likely what they'll go to start out because I'm not sure if Green splits in the past, but teams are always 
concern about platoon switches with young players, and so I think they'll sort of give Conrad some playing time, and that'll allow them to sort of see what they have in both a little bit before making a final decision. Right, so Milwaukee was the third team. Uh, first base is, uh, is now an issue for them. Um, also an issue is now uh, now a shortstop, uh, because Alex Gonzalez is out um, also very likely for the season, with a, also with a torn ACL. Dave, <laughs> they've had... Uh, you're angry. They've had... Uh, um, they've had uh, Cesar Isturis, who honestly, I mean, I mean, he's much better at baseball than I am and than most other people. Uh, but honestly, I didn't actually realize he was still in the league. He is. He's starting shortstop for Milwaukee Brewers right now. That, I'm, I mean, you can't expect that that would last much longer. Will it, though? And if not, who then then who will play there? I think it might. He's, he's really, to be honest, he's a terrible hitter. But he can still field the position, my understanding. Um, I would not be surprised if they give him a chance to sort of prove that he's not going to completely kill them, especially because they'll be able to hit it bad before the pitcher. And so the question is whether or not that, you know, the player really provides much value anyway. But I think there's a chance that they could end up seeing if Brooks Conrad can fill the role at shortstop. If they feel like they like his bat and they want to keep Taylor Green in there, you move Conrad over, who's Put a little bit of shortstop in the past, but really it's not his forte. No, uh, no, it's not his forte at all. I mean, second base is cert- wasn't his forte, and you, you know, you assume a shortstop requires more range. I mean, to be fair, they played Unieski Betancourt at shortstop, so well, it's right. not like they care. Hey, listen, I'm not debating that point, but at least Uni Betancourt has like he has an aura of a shortstop about him. I'm not saying that it's that that's. Um, I'm not saying that people are right to think that, but that seems to be in in circulation. That thought, you know. Um, but Conrad is he shaped shaped like a little like a little bulb, like a little piece yeah, of. Yeah, I would play him at shortstop. I mean, if, if you think he can hit, and Cesar Torres just sucks, who cares? You can get a little bit of defense there, but you get the extra offense, and it ends up balancing itself out, and it's a little more fun to watch an offense. It is, yeah, and I guess I mean at the same time too, you would get the advantage. Uh, you, you you could, I guess, you could play Conrad for like six innings, right, and then play Sturis. If you, if you had the lead, yeah, that's something that's completely conceivable. Well, it would be entertaining, at least for a little bit, to watch Brooks Conrad play shortstop, and it would it, it seems like it would certainly be a huge advantage for fantasy owners if a guy with Conrad's bat, which is not like. You know he's not like a, a totally above average hitter, but that bat with shortstop eligibility would would play pretty well. Yeah, I think he could actually uh, sneak up on some people there, and you could see some numbers that would surprise people. And when they found his shortstop eligible, they'd probably be ecstatic. And I think he'd get picked up in more of the OBP leagues. But it'd be really interesting to see what happens. And I, I, really, we have no idea. With two different injuries and players that could fill both roles. It's, it's really a mystery. Well, so actually, uh, uh, this provides a perfect segue because I own Brooks Conrad in our Auto New League, um, and I wanted to just mention Zach before I let you go. I just look. I had the standings right here before me, just purely by coincidence. Oh, and if I look, see. Um, so I guess yeah, I've sorted by points, which is the which is how you tell the winner in the league. And uh, if you look first, there's my team, the Very Handsomes. Um, and then if I just look la- last here, um, a little over 600 points behind, about 650, actually. 
is your team in last place. So what do you think about that, Sanders? I think I get a pass because my team is the best named. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You didn't even name it, really. Your parents did. Uh, we should note that. I'd he, like to think I had a say in it. We should note that his team is just called Zach. Yeah. Yeah. Things I, have gone terribly wrong this year. It, it happens. It, it's not going the way I want it to go. Now, with regard to my team, are you impressed or are you, or are you very impressed? I'm the most impressed I've ever been. Yeah. I mean, it's a good team. It's a good team. It, and besides the fact that, you know, you're starting Brian LaHare, who, you know, before this year was nothing, and you're starting Conor Gadaspi and... Well, 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 well rewind nonsense. briefly. You, 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 you might say that I had the uh, I had the foresight to to pick up uh, Brian Lehare, um who's a first baseman who would be outfield eligible for two dollars in an auction. Some people might compliment me on that. Some people might say, "Hey, that was um, a smart move, Sestouli, if they knew my last name." Those people aren't competing with you. No, none of these people, none of these other eleven people will will say anything nice about me, um, either with regard to fantasy play or just. As like a person, especially your face. Yeah, right in the face part. Yeah. Um, well, no, but but, but it, it, this can be instructive to sort of do. Well, it's not officially a post mortem, but you're not going to finish in first place. What what is? Well, I think it is a post mortem. I've already I've already made a trade to rebuild. It, it's a post mortem at this point. Okay, so I guess I guess what could be helpful for our listeners is, and and for you in the future too, is where where did it go wrong? And what, what have you learned from it, if anything? I think I tried to diversify too much. Instead of having the stars go with more the the players in the upper to mid-tier and try to build around a bunch of them. And really the problem is that since they're not stars, they're going to struggle a lot at times. And if they all struggle at the same time for part of the year or really all struggle for an extended period of time, you're going to have some problems. I mean, right now the biggest star of my hitting Shane Victorino, and you know he's a nice player and everything, but he's no superstar. And you know while he's inexpensive for me, and that's that's lovely, uh, things can go horribly wrong when you don't have those guys to really anchor the the lineup. And my pitching's fine; it's it's okay; it's what it is. But I'm not exactly uh, I'm not exactly going to win this year. Let's put it that way. No, uh, yeah, I noticed that it's probably going to be me. Is what I noticed. Um, yeah. As long as anyone but Robert Sanchez. Yeah, I know. And our, our listeners should also know, uh, they may not know Robert Sanchez because he does mostly work behind the scenes of Fangraphs. Ro- Robert uh, edits a lot of the pieces of Fangraphs. So if, if ever you come across an incoherent sentence, I mean, well, it's the author's fault, but it's also definitely Robert Sanchez's fault um, for not picking it up. Um, but Robert is – and now you play in a lot of fantasy leagues, so you probably come across uh, people like this. But Robert is the sort of um, – uh, league member who will make constant trade offers that make that uh, of no benefit to the person receiving the offer. He tried to trade like a twenty or twenty-five dollar Martin Prado all winter long, and why anyone would accept the the trades he was offering um, is is a mystery. But well, apparently not a mystery to Robert Sanchez though. I, I made an offer for Martin Prado. It's just that uh, I think his goal was that since he was going to cut him anyway, which I, I believe he did, that he, he 
was going to get whatever, the best he could. He wasn't going to get anything at all. He was going to make us all pay for him in the auction. I, have, I really have. I mean, I just made a trade with him uh, either this morning or last night, and it was, it's okay. It was nothing special. He got me because I, I'm not going to win, and I can be okay with cutting cutting some salary out for next year. But the, the, the problem is that the offers are constant. They never stop. They just they keep coming and coming and coming. And you you, you can beg, but they'll keep they'll keep coming. You see, I mean, uh, I can't imagine that though that I mean, because he's bad. He's terrible, both inside and outside. But he's he can't be the worst you've seen. Can't he? Well, maybe he can. I don't know. Have you have you not have even like a, like a hometown league or whatever? You haven't come across a, a a league a league member who's who's been that relentless and, and that silly. Well, in the hometown league, it's, it's probably closer to me because I want to do things and people are always lazy. But yeah, I really have never had a league member who pushes players as much as he does. He will, if he wants to trade a player, he won't you know make make it known that they're available. He will push it on you, and you will know they're available. From, from the five different offers you get within a 24-hour period. Yeah, see, what I would like is more of like a Boris effect, I think, as like a Scott Boris effect. I, I want some salesmanship. You know, if I want him to dance a little bit. And if, if I can get that from him, it would it would soften me a little bit, you know. Don't just send me the offer. You know, really sell me. Sell me Martin Prado. And, you know, I, at, least, at least I would sort of make a mental adjustment of, you know, Two to five fantasy dollars. If I really thought I could get Sanchez to, um, you know, to, to to sing the praises of the players he was trying, but he just sends them relentlessly, you know. So that's uh, that's probably my main criticism. Um, well, yeah, but it, it's never going to stop. There's nothing you can do about it. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's terrible. Gonna keep going. Miserable. Well, all right, uh, Zach Sanchez. I don't know what you do with your life, but I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let you go back to doing it, um, and I'm going to. You know, I guess I edit this, edit this podcast, and uh, you know, enter the abyss, enter the abyss that is the rest of my life. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it is. Well, listen though, it, uh, it has been a pleasure uh, talking to you. We haven't we haven't talked for some time. Uh, it has been a pleasure uh, catching up with you and uh, getting your learned opinions about about fantasy baseball. Happy to do it. Cool, and I will invite you to a little uh, to a little post pod uh, chat. But in the meantime. Um, I will tell the listener that that has been uh, Rotograph's contributor, Zach Sanders. I am Carson Zestuli, and this has been our Fantasy Friday on Thursday edition of Fancraft Saga. Oh, oh, oh.